Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. So great to see everybody this morning and sure to appreciate you being here with us. Last week, uh, got to spend some time with our soldiers on Sunday morning and didn't Shane do a wonderful job preaching for us last week? Sure did. So appreciative uh, of him and uh, last week, uh, where we were in Acts, we saw really the beginning, kind of the birth of the early church. And at this point in the book of Acts, just to give you a little background, of course, Jesus has ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has, I guess, descended. And the church at this point is really thriving. The church is growing tremendously. I mean, people are getting saved um, literally every day. People are getting saved in the early church. And in the middle of all this good, persecution strikes, right? Naturally, as the church grows, it faces more opposition as it begins to spread out. And so we even, by the time we get to Acts chapter 7, we have the very first Christian martyr in this man, Stephen. But in the middle of all of this opposition, in the middle of all this persecution, the church prays. And that's what we're talking about this morning is the praying church. Shane talked about the perfect church this morning. We're talking about the praying church. And from its very inception, from its very beginning, God's church has been a praying church. So a lot takes place between Acts chapter 2, where we were last week, and Acts chapter 12, where we are this week. All of this opposition, even this outright persecution of Christians does not stop Christ's church. It really doesn't even hinder the church. If anything, all of this uh, persecution, even killing Christians, all of that, as we talked about Wednesday night, just fans that Holy Spirit flame that was ignited on the day of Pentecost. But here's what we have to realize this morning. This is a lesson in and of itself. And I want you to, to understand this. The only threat to the church, the only threat to Christ's church is the church itself. The only threat to the church is for Christ's church to become disobedient or divided or complacent or apathetic. Because what did Jesus himself promise to his church? He said, my church will be built upon me, the rock, Christ himself, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against my church. So, by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, (laughs) they're trying their best to prevail against Christ's church. But notice what happens. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 this morning. It says, About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews... He proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So, Peter was kept in prison. And if you're looking at the verses in your Bible, go ahead and underline this phrase this morning. But the church was praying. 
That right there, we could make a, a, a non-contextual sermon out of that line right there this morning. How many are thankful that the church prays? I was lost, but the church was praying. I was sick, but the church was praying. I was at the end of my rope, but the church was praying. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. So a little background on what's going on here. We have James, the brother of John, who were the two sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, one of Jesus' very first disciples. And James also becomes the very first martyr among the apostles. We've had Stephen killed, but James is the first true disciple of Jesus that followed Jesus that's now lost his life. And Luke tells us that Herod realized doing this pleased the Jews. Now we'll talk more tonight about who these people were, who Herod was, and who these Jews were that, that enjoyed seeing Christians killed. But understand that the Herodian family was a really just messed up, evil bunch of people. And the Jews that are happy about this were probably some of the very ones that wanted Jesus killed not too much earlier. And so we have all of this going on. And at their pleasure, Herod arrests Peter after he kills James. And it seems like that Herod's plan is to keep Peter locked up until after Passover and then bring him out and kill him, which is when Jesus was also crucified. And then make all these people happy. But in the middle of that plan, notice, I mean, this is what we're talking about this morning. The church was on its knees. The church was praying. 2,000 years later, today, the church should still be a praying church. There's a thread of faithfulness to prayer in the early church. I want to point out this morning... It kind of sets the stage for what we see here in Acts chapter 12. And so there's five marks of a praying church by the time we get to Acts chapter 12 this morning. And the first is that a praying church is a spirit-filled church. Acts chapter 1, going all the way back to the beginning, tells us that the early church was continually united in prayer. And it's in that context of being united in prayer to God that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the church. Now, Luke tells us here in Acts that the church had about 120 people in it at this point. Pretty good-sized church, honestly, right? For First Baptist Church, Jerusalem. That's pretty good. And he says that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then by the end of that day, that church, that little church there in Jerusalem of 120 people grew to over more than 3,000 people by the time the sun went down. Isn't that incredible? So Herod and the Jews think... That if they can just cut the head off of this snake, that it will just wither up and die and they'll be done with all these Christians. But what they don't understand, it's not the spirit of James and it's not the spirit of Peter that keeps the church going. It's the very spirit of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit, that is pushing this church forward. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that all these thousands come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what we realize is there's a direct connection between our prayers... In God's Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is on one hand, we need to pray. And if you're not doing this, you need to. You need to pray daily that God would just fill you with His Holy Spirit. That His Spirit would guide you and correct you when you're wrong. That He would work in you and through you. And then on the other hand, there's those times we've all been there when we don't even know what we're supposed to pray. And it's in those moments that we need God's Holy Spirit to intercede for us. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon realized the importance of prayer in the Holy Spirit. And he said this, he said, Every growth of spiritual life from the first tender shoot until now has been the work of the Holy Spirit. He said the only way to more life is the Holy Spirit. 
you will not even know that you want more unless He works in you to desire it. He said the Spirit of God must come and make the, the letter alive, transfer it to your heart, set it on fire, and make it burn within you, or else its divine force and majesty will be hidden from your eyes. He goes on to say that prayer... Prayer is the creation of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do without prayer, and we cannot pray without the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'll just be honest with you. We need the Holy Spirit just as bad as the church needed Him 2,000 years ago when this whole thing started. And the good news is that the same Spirit that we talked about a couple weeks ago, the same Spirit that is at work in the book of Acts and in the early church is the exact same Spirit of God that's at work here in FBC and all around the world. And we have the same uh, access to God's Holy Spirit as they did so long ago. So we need to pray that we'd be filled as individuals and as a church with God's Holy Spirit. Second mark of a praying church is it is a shaken church. Now, as I studied this week, I almost made this point say it was a salty church, as in salt and light. And then I thought, well, maybe talking about a bunch of salty Baptists would, would you know, give off the wrong impression. So it's a shaken church. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested for the first time. And Luke specifically tells us that Peter was once again filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to speak at what we would say is their trial. And as he speaks very boldly, all these religious leaders realize they're not going to be able to do anything with these guys. And so they decide to release them. And then the church gathers together to guess what? To pray. And what do you think they prayed for as a church in spite of this opposition and persecution? Luke tells us that they gathered together and they prayed for even more boldness. That they prayed for even more Holy Spirit power in the church. And Luke tells us when they had prayed that the place where they were gathered was literally shaken. And then they were all again filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, began to speak the word of God boldly. And so what happens is that this shaken church then begins to shake up the world around them. And they began to shake up the customs and the, the norms of the day. They began to shake up the social circles. They began to shake up the religious and political powers that be. And in all these different entities that are threatened by the church, they decide, they decide to come after the church very hard, especially these iconic leaders like Peter and James and John and the others. But when they do, every single time, the church prays. Every time it hits a roadblock, the church hits its knees. And they pray not only for deliverance, but for even more boldness to shake up things just a little bit more. And I'll just be honest, if there ever was a time in our history that the church needed more boldness, that we needed to be even saltier and a little more brighter, I think that time is now. And I think that we need to pray that we too would be bold in the face of opposition, bold in the face of our twisted culture and this warped society that we live in, bold in the face of persecution when it comes, and one day it's probably going to come even our way. And we need to pray for that boldness. Because here's, here's something I learned this week. It's easy to get, get tunnel vision as we go through this, this Christian life and we're surrounded by other believers. Me and Shane got to go to a college campus this week and I, I'll tell you one thing. The devil, the enemy is fighting very hard for the souls of these young men and women. And it's time that we are unafraid and very bold to share our faith and take a stand for Christ. Third mark of a praying church is it's a sending church. And so the early church took Jesus' command to go to the nations very seriously. And as they prayed, they weren't afraid to send people out when God led them in that direction. Back in Acts chapter 9, we read about this miraculous conversion 
of a pretty terrible man by the name of Saul, persecutor of Christ's church, who goes on, as we know, to become the Apostle Paul. And after Saul meets Jesus, Luke he gives us a little insight. He tells us that Saul spends some time in prayer. And as Saul's spending time in prayer, God has led another man by the name of Ananias to spend some time in prayer. And as these two godly men began to pray, God brings them together. And Ananias, at first, you know, God tells him, I need you to go and, and, and talk to Saul. He's like, I don't think so, God. Do you realize who this guy is? This is a guy that arrests people and kills people and persecutes the church. So anyway, long story short, he's obedient. He goes to Saul and he walks in and it's really amazing picture. He goes into this, this evil, formerly evil man who's now become a Christian. And godly Ananias, the Bible says, puts his hands on Saul and he calls him brother. And he baptizes him. And then Saul goes on, as we know, to become the Apostle Paul. God has chosen him to take the gospel to Gentiles, to kings, even to other Israelites. And then eventually he come, kind of, we realize quickly, he's very good at what he does. He's very intelligent and well, uh, just a good speaker. And he's very good at convincing people to follow Jesus. But he's also very good at making people angry. To the point that several times he has to run for his life. And eventually Saul settles into this church in Antioch. And I just want you to think for a moment. Can you imagine having the Apostle Paul in your church? Maybe he's a Sunday school teacher. I don't know. Maybe he leads worship. He'd make some of us mad if you know anything about the Apostle Paul. But what an asset to have the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known, in your church. And guess what God tells the church in Antioch? He said, it's time to give Paul to somebody else. And that church in Antioch, this young church, doesn't hesitate for a moment to send out the Apostle Paul to the rest of the kingdom. The early church had a kingdom mindset. They, they understood this, this concept that one of our former presidents of the SBC wrote a book on called Gaining by Losing. And what it, what it really means is that the kingdom at large, the church at large, gains when we send people out, when we lose people from our pews and send them out to the mission field, the, the kingdom of Christ grows when we send out those Pauls and those Barnabases and those Sherrys and Toms and those Kentucky Changers and, and everybody else that we send all around the world because it's all about kingdom growth, not just our church growth, but kingdom growth in Christ's church and Christ's kingdom. It's not always about just hoarding up all these people resources for ourselves, even though... As a pastor, I kind of like to do that. But we're supposed to be sending people out. And when we're praying to God and we're in tune with, with what, what God wants to do, it makes it easier to send off these wonderful people when God calls them somewhere else. And so we need to, when God does that, one, send them off very prayerfully, very willingly, but in the power of the Holy Spirit when God says go. Fourth mark of a praying church. I almost left this one out, but this is so important. A praying church is a seeing church. A praying church is in tune with what God the Father wants to do in them and around them. And just back in Acts, here in Acts chapter 12, the church, again, they're praying fervently, Luke says, for Peter. And the language used there is very similar to the language that Luke uses when he talks about Jesus praying for Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. They are praying like they mean it. 
They are praying with everything inside of them for this godly man, believing that God could answer their prayers. And while the church, I think, could have gone on without Peter because it wasn't built on Peter, it was built on Christ, they knew that he was critical to the church at this early stage that they were in. So they prayed. And a couple chapters before this, Peter is praying for himself. He gets hungry and he goes up on the roof and he's praying for himself. And as he's praying, God gives Peter a vision. He lets him see something. And for, for those of us that, that like to hunt and that like to eat meat, your life verse is found right here in Acts chapter 10. So God shows Peter all these unclean animals coming down and, and he, he tells Peter something so remarkable. These are things that Peter wasn't allowed to eat as a Jewish man. He says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. I mean, hallelujah, right? That's, that's a wonderful thing for us Gentiles. And so what God is showing Peter through this vision that he gave him as he began to pray is that his plan is not only to save Jewish people through Jesus, but his plan is to save Gentiles and people all around the world that the gospel was going to go to all nations and all people and eventually to people just like me and you this morning. And God showed Peter that his plan was for all these different kinds of people all over God's creation to be saved. And not only saved but filled with that same Holy Spirit. And so when this began to happen, and these other people besides Jews began to get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, some people were confused, right? But Peter was able, because God had given him this vision, to understand this and even support it. The point is, church, is that God is still working all around us. And His plans and His great commission is still unfolding and the gospel is still going forth as we witnessed this morning, still changing people's lives and people are still being saved. And we need to be in tune with what God wants to do in our lives, in our church, in this community, in our world. And the way that we get in tune with God's will is through prayer. Spend time talking to your Heavenly Father and you'll know what He wants. You'll know what He likes. You'll know what He dislikes. And, and, and maybe that's something that you need this morning, just being very, very blunt. Maybe you need to understand what God's plan for you looks like this morning. And if so, I'd encourage you here shortly, come and pray about that. And as you do, I guarantee God will make that a little bit more clear. The final mark of a praying church this morning is that a praying church is a successful church. It takes us back to where we started here in Acts chapter 12 as this church fervently prays for Peter. And God begins to answer the prayers of His church. And as God begins to work, as these people pray, we realize these 16 guards couldn't stop Him. The, the chains on Peter's wrist and the guards that he was chained to couldn't stop him. The iron bars, the gates couldn't stop him. The very gates of hell itself could not stop what God was going to do. And not only did God release Peter from this prison, but as we read on down, we realize that Herod himself is struck down by God. And it's, it's really bizarre. It says he's eaten with worms and dies. He got, he got what was coming to him, honestly. And it, but Luke tells us then the Word of God spread and multiplied. And as I've looked at Peter's situation this week, I began to think, man, what if this happened to us? What if we're out here trying to do God's will and all of a sudden we, we I mean, my goodness, we get thrown in prison, chained up somewhere and we, we're just so stuck. What I'm getting at is it's so easy to get caught up in our circumstances 
And it had been so easy for Peter to feel sorry for himself or for the church to become afraid and just, just hide and cower in fear and just give up. But instead, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed to God and they wanted to continue this mission, this great commission that Christ had set them out on. And this praying church realized that this thing wasn't just about them. It wasn't just about their comforts. It wasn't just about their success as individuals. It wasn't even just about their very lives. It was about the kingdom of God and Christ's church. And this is something the modern church needs to grasp this morning. Because far too often, church, it becomes about us. It becomes about our desires and our preferences and our church and our little kingdom right here. And to overcome that way of thinking, we need to redefine what success for the church looks like. Because for so long, success in the church has been about the three B's. It's been about budgets and buildings and, and people in seats. That's how we've defined success. But maybe Great Commission success is a little bit less about seating capacity and a whole lot more about our sending capacity. Maybe it's less about the dollars that we made and more about the disciples that we've made this year. Maybe it's less about gaining members and more about sending those members out on mission for Christ's church. This morning, that's what God wants each and every single person in here to do. He wants you to be part of His work, of His great commission, of what He's doing here and around the world. And if you don't know where to start this morning, you don't know what that looks like for you, I, I can tell you the first, the first step. It starts on your knees before God, praying, surrendering yourself to Him, giving Him your life, your will, just laying it all over to Him. And, I, and when you do that, you'll know exactly what the next step looks like. And for somebody, that may be salvation, it may be baptism, it may be church membership. It may look totally different for every single person in here. But God has a plan for your life, and He wants to use you this morning. So I challenge you, church, this morning, for everybody that will, to just come and pray today. Come and pray. And here's the model Jesus gave us, all right? He first prayed for Himself. Then He prayed for His disciples, the church. And then he prayed for future believers, future Christians. And so this morning, all that will, I'm going to invite our church, not just the people that need to make a decision. I'm going to invite our church to spend some time in prayer this morning. One, praying for yourself and what God would do in you. Two, praying for the church and what God wants to do through our church and through his church at large. And it, last but not least, praying for those future believers as they come into Christ's kingdom as well. Would you stand together this morning as we pray? Father, this morning we realize looking at this passage that your plans are so much bigger than us. God, what you want to do is so much bigger than even Barberville, Kentucky. But at the same time, Lord, this is where you've placed us for now. This is our Jerusalem. And around us is our Judea and our Samaria and even the ends of the earth. And God, it's my prayer this morning that your church would be just as on fire today as it was 2,000 years ago when your Holy Spirit first came and filled your church. Help us, Lord, to realize it's not just about us. It's not just about what we want and what we want for our lives, but this is about Christ's kingdom. The church, the church that He's coming back for. 
And God, I pray that when you return, you would find every single person here in First Baptist Church of Barberville faithful to you and faithful to your great commission. That we would be found faithful going and making disciples of all nations. And God, this morning, if someone's here and they, they're not saved, well, I pray they'd make that first step this morning and come to Jesus. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would just know very clearly today what your plan is for us, how we could be used in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we sing a song of invitation, again, church, I invite you to come and pray that model prayer this morning. Pray for God's direction in your life. And if there's a decision that you need to make this morning, why don't you come and share that with us? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.